Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, I want to dive in. We are in a series called Misunderstood, and it's built around one simple quote that you're going to see on the screen that really sums up the catalyst behind this whole thing. And today I want to pull back the curtain and give you the scripture that kind of got me thinking on this. But this one quote is very simple, and you'll see it on the screen. It simply says, the greatest separation or the greatest distance between two people is a misunderstanding. And let me tell you something. After being on this earth for 47 years, and especially those later years of being an adult, we all have known situations that people are literally sitting on opposite ends of the room, at the table, in the community, no matter where. Like they're on opposite ends, and it's all based on a simple misunderstanding. I have known families that did not gather for the holidays for years based on something they thought somebody said, and they never said it, and it was just a misunderstanding. I have sat in marriage counseling, and it was some of the, the, the most fun. This sounds terrible, but just hang with me, okay? I, it, it actually was really fun because they came in thinking they had all of these issues. And they're like, Pastor, will you meet with us and, and then maybe see what we can do to, to like refer or get a referral and go, go talk to somebody that is a lot more wise and knowledgeable than you? And I'm like, I can do that. And then we sit down, and, and in about five minutes, we realize they ain't got no issues. They ain't got no struggle. They in love with each other. And they are glad to be married to each other. It's just there was a, a misunderstanding. And I have realized that if that's true for earthly relationships, I believe it's true for our spiritual relationship as well. I believe that there's a lot of people that are standing at a, a crossroads, hence our name, trying to make a decision on what it means to have a relationship with Christ, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, go make a difference. We sum it up as life-giving. And they're trying to figure out, and they're, they're struggling because they think God's word says something that it literally just does not say. They may have heard a message. They may have heard a sermon. They may have heard a podcast. They may have said in a Sunday school class. I don't know where it came from, but they took somebody that was in authority, took it as truth, and it's just put in their mind a misunderstanding. And I feel like God's up there, Jesus up there saying, hey, 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 that, that's, that's not what I said. That's, that's not what I meant. Like they've twisted my words. And so I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I know that's true for my life, and I wonder if it's true for some of you guys' life. And it can be a roadblock in your faith. And so I thought, what would it look like to just literally do a series and let's go through some of these things that, that are misunderstandings in God's word that makes us go down a path that God's like, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Like, I think some of you sit with a major calling on your life. You just misunderstand what it means to have a calling on your life. You think that it means you've got to be on a stage, be in some sort of major leadership role. You got to go to Africa. And it may not, it may look a whole lot like your life right now. It's just the way that you treat people and the way you love God and the way he's a part of your life is a little bit more evident. In fact, I'll give you an example of where all this comes from. It's actually in John. It's John chapter 6. You're not going to see this scripture on the scene. But it's this amazing story that's going on where, 
where Jesus is talking to the people and, and he's explaining to them why they couldn't cast out this particular demon. And he's talking about how they don't really have the power because some things are not just, but you got to do it through prayer and supplication. And he, and he makes this comment to these, these people and it says in chapter 6, verse 60, he talks about how they, they can't understand it because it's such a hard saying. And what he was talking about is that unless you're willing to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, then you truly won't be able to follow after him. And you had this group of disciples, a large people that had gathered. He had just fed 5,000 people. And in, Luke, or in John chapter 6, verse 60, it literally has them talking, and they're like, I don't, I don't know if we can do this. this. Who can accept this? This is such a hard saying. And it was all based on a misunderstanding. So much so that if you follow it up in John chapter 6, verse 66, it literally is a scripture that says, and many disciples stopped and walked away and stopped following him. And that caught my eye. I thought, how many people, based on a misunderstanding, have stopped and walked away from the teachings of Jesus and what it means to love God just because they misunderstand? In fact, I'm going to show you today what I think is one of those that really holds a lot of people up. If you have your Bibles, whether it's paperback or electronic or on a tablet, turn with me to Matthew. Matthew is an amazing, amazing uh, book. Uh, he's very detailed. It's Matthew chapter 16. Last week, we kind of introduced this series with this whole premise, talking about Nicodemus and talking about John 3, 16, and talking about this one premise that, that governs everything, that your belief in what you believe will dictate majority of your actions. And most people's misunderstandings is not really a, a concept of understanding what Jesus says. It's an issue of believing what he said. Like, I just don't know if that's true. And we talked about Nicodemus. You can go to the podcast. It's up, and you can listen to that and how Nicodemus was struggling with this aspect of being born again. But the premise that we want to know that, that's always going to hold true in every one of his teachings comes out of John 3, 16 and 17. God's for you. God's for everyone. And he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And if we put those three truths on our goggles and look at everything through that concept, all of a sudden these teachings start making sense. Will you join me in Matthew chapter 16 as we go to the next part of these teachings and a very, very, very familiar verse that I'm gonna get to at the end, but listen to what it says. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. Now, if you have a paperback Bible or a paper Bible, underline those three words, from that time. Because what I want to show you today is how one particular gentleman went from being blessed to being cursed in not even a day. Like, if you want to know what's going on, when it says from that time, can I give you a little bit of a Bible history lesson for just a minute? Will you hang with me? Most people read the Gospels and they think it's written in chronological order. The reality is, is it was not written in chronological order. If anybody comes to you and says, oh, well, you know, why does this contradict? You know, Matthew says this, and then John says this. It wasn't written in a verbatim chronological order. Like, if you read through the book of Matthew, it's not that, okay, verse 1 goes to verse 2, goes to verse 3, and then there's a change of a story, and that's exact. It was written in the aspects of events. In fact, I will give you those events. I wrote them down to make sure every one of the Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have these events that it goes through. It has a time frame. And it always starts with the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the temptations of Jesus, goes into the ministry of Jesus, then goes into the passion of Jesus, then goes to the death of Jesus, and ends with the resurrection and celebration of Jesus. All four Gospels go in that order. 
But in between those orders, it doesn't mean it's verbatim in those event orders. Does that make sense? And so what's going on right here, here's what's really cool. You just had all of these disciples that have walked away. Remember what I just told you in John 6, 66? You've just had all these people that have walked away. And because they've walked away, Jesus then turns around and looks at his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? Because he knows that they're leaving. They have gotten a misunderstanding. They are thinking that he's something that he's not. They can't get past the fact that he just said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you will not be able to follow me. And they're like, dude, I, I, I'm not, nope, I'm not gnawing on your arm, and I sure ain't going to drink something that comes out of your body. That's, that's disgusting. They misunderstand what he's saying. Now, us being on this side of the cross, we see it so clearly, right? But for that time, they're like, mm -mm, I'm out, see ya. And because you have this massive group that is left, Jesus turns around and looks at his disciples Asking, basically, are you going to leave too? It says, who do people say that I am? And Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, following this exodus, says, you are the Christ, the one true God. And Jesus replies to him, well done, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this confession, your name is Petros, meaning rock, and I will build my church. That is what is going on in those first three verses when it says, from that time. See, Jesus realizes that if they can't understand what he means as far as flesh and blood and the confession of who he is, they really aren't going to understand the other things. And so he tests them. And he says, okay, who are they saying that I am? And they say, well, some say the prophet Elijah, some say the Moses, some say the reincarnation. He says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter has this confession. And because he understands that they now as the disciples know who he is, the one true son of God, he's starting to let them know, now here's what my purpose is. That's a real long introduction, isn't it? But I just need to make sure you understood that because that's gonna help you understand what I'm about to show you in God's word. So God has just, Jesus, has just talked to the disciples. He's had this massive group that has left. He's turned around and asked them who they, they've had this confession of Peter. He's like, that a boy. I'm going to build my rock, the church, on that confession. You the rock. And then they go into this next point. Okay, so let's pick up the pace. Are you ready? So Matthew chapter 16, from that time, everything I just described to you, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. Because they understand who he is, he now feels comfortable enough and confident enough to start display, explaining to them why he's here. If you're taking notes, first thing I tell you to write down. You can't get to the why you're here if you don't know the what behind who you are. Like most people struggle with what their purpose is and what their why is, and their struggle is because they don't understand what they are and whose they are. Like, as long as you're trying to do this life on your own and thinking that you're in charge and that, like, you're, you're, you're borderline, like, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Like, I, these people are blessed to have me in their life. And God's up there going, until you understand who you are, you're never going to understand what I have called you to do. That's exactly what Jesus is explaining to them. And because they understand who he is, he's starting to say, okay, now that you know the who, I'm going to give you the why I come. And so he tells them, 
He starts to explain to them. From this time, I'm going to start to explain. We're leading up to Resurrection Sunday, right? He's starting to tell them, okay, now I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be accused, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be killed, and I'll be raised from the dead. Peter, the amazing man that, hey, you are the man. Flesh didn't reveal this to you. My father revealed this to you. Upon that confession, I'm going to build your church. Like that morning, that afternoon, whatever time frame it was, you the man, Peter, that night, Listen to what he says. Peter, after hearing this, took him aside. Like, that's the funny part. Like, don't forget that we're talking about Jesus. Fully man, fully God, has done some amazing miracles, has shown himself. Peter knows he's the son of God. And Peter's like, hey, dude, come here. I got got to talk to you for a sec. Like, hey, can I, I mean, I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody. Hey, just step over here behind this fig tree for a minute. And let, let, me, let me speak some truth into you. And here's what Peter tells him. He says, he took him, by, took him aside and begins to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, if you'll notice, he says, far be it from you, Lord. So Peter still understands the hierarchy In this time frame, you would never have pulled your rabbi or your teacher to the side and start telling him that what he is saying is incorrect because it would be like me going to this major professor at a university that teaches trigonometry and me going in there, not knowing a whole lot about trigonometry, and saying, "Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. Why? I just, I, I I don't think you're right. Why do you not think I'm right? Because I just don't think that's the way we should do it. It's kind of, I got to be, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say this. Maturity, woohoo, I'm growing. So keep going with the message. It's, it's, so, it's one of those things that it, it, you just can't do that. And the fact that he would pull his rabbi, his Lord, over to the side and rebuke him is not only uncommon, it's looked at as disrespectful, It's looked at as rude, and it is something that you just simply would not do. It'd be the equivalent. Let me give you an easier translation. This is not a a great analogy, but it'll help you understand. It'd be the equivalent of going over to somebody's house who invited you to eat dinner, and you got done eating dinner, and they said, boy, it was so good to have you. I hope you enjoyed dinner. And you say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. You know, you really use a lot of salt. And I don't know that I would have cooked that chicken that long. And were those instant potatoes? I mean, I'm not saying that I could tell, but I'm just wondering, like, was that box potatoes? And I'm more of a butter. Was that margarine? Like, that's kind of, like, I'm not saying you don't know how to cook. I'm just saying, like, I think there's some little things that you could do that would really help. Now, if you're sitting in this room laughing and giggling and elbowing somebody, can I talk to the person that's being elbowed? When you're eating, your mouth's full, so therefore you can't speak. Learn after dinner, you still shouldn't speak. <laughs> now moving on back to the lesson. <laughs> but that's what Peter's done. He's went from like, because God has been like, you the man. I'm going to build my church. All of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, I, I, I'm going to tell him some more stuff now. Like, you ever had somebody that you gave some affirmation to, and they ran with that a lot further than where it was supposed to go? You know what I'm saying? Like, you were like, hey, you. 
I am so proud of you. And the next thing you're like, well, wait, hang on. What makes you think you can do it? Well, you told me you was proud of me. I, okay, I was trying to encourage you. I wasn't trying to, like, no. That's what Peter's doing. Peter is taking this affirmation that Jesus gave him, and now he's thinking, oh, well, I'm going to help him out a little bit more here. Come over here and let me tell you. Now, listen to what Jesus does. This is amazing. All right, this lets you know that you're human. Because every one of us have lived this. Every one of us has went from a major encounter with the Lord where we felt like he's affirmed us. And by the time the sun went down, you felt like he's rebuked you. Well, guess what? It happened to Peter too. Because listen to what he says. This shall never happen to you, verse 23. But he, being Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. He went from you to man. I'm going to build my church on what you, that's good. You are Satan. Get out of my life. I rebuke you. Get behind me. Like, I am so glad this is in God's word because it lets me know I'm human. Like, there's been moments in my life that I feel God in my spirit's like, that's right. And I'm like, mm. And then by the end of the day, I'm like, that's not right. You, you and you're an idiot. Like, what are you thinking? Like, what are you doing? What are you... It's called being human. This is the reason why we need Jesus so bad. And you say, what happened? What happened between the confession and the rebuking? Peter misunderstood. Because of the time frame on which he was sitting, he misunderstood what Jesus was teaching. He didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he said, okay, now I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and these things. And he's like, mm, that's not, he, he misunderstood. Listen to me very carefully. I'm telling you, the difference between being rebuked and being celebrated when it comes to your relationship with the Lord has a whole lot to do with your understanding of God's word. In fact, for some of you, including myself, one of the things I struggle with the most is, is I misread the tea leaves. I will take something that I know is God's word, and I'll be like, ooh, that's good. And then I'll take something else and go, I don't, I don't know about that. And I end up being a hindrance. In fact, write this in your notes. Mindset is everything. Do you know what normally gets most people off? Is the right or wrong mindset. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. Listen, this is so good. It's something that we saw last week. He was talking about how can you understand heavenly things if you don't understand earthly things? Well, here we go again. Listen to what he says. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but of the things of man. See, the issue for most of us when it comes to misunderstanding is we are trying to define God and his purposes with an English earthly language rather than understanding just how great he is. Like, for example... In your mind, not out loud, out loud, describe for me God. Well, Mickey, he's uh, infinitely forgiving. Really? Just infinitely? You need a little bit more than that? See, we don't have earthly language to describe to the detail heavenly things. We are in a flawed world. And because of that, when we start trying to use earthly language to describe heavenly things, things get lost in translation, and we live in a spirit of misunderstanding. 
But now that you have this premise about the mindset, let me get to the one that really throws everybody off. I'm going to give you some freedom today, I hope. At least it was for me as I was preparing. Then he goes into these next verses. You've heard so much. Then Jesus told his disciples. So he has rebuked. He said, get behind me, Satan. And at the same time, he's turned around and celebrated and said, upon this confession, I will build my church. But then he gets into this, and he's talking to all the disciples. And this is what he says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you've ever been a part of a Sunday school class, if you've ever been a part of a church for a long time, if you've ever had somebody talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, they normally, when it comes to discipleship, will go to this verse. And they'll say, listen, this is awesome. And if you want to know what it means to be a disciple, you need to learn this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. And you're like, I don't know what that means. Like, that's sweet. Can you give me a little bit more? Well, sure I can. Because that aspect of the cross, we think about the suffering of Jesus. And you got to be willing to, I mean, like, it, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be like, you know, when we talk about the cat of nine tails and the passion of Christ and, and him being beaten, like, like you're going to be beaten. And I, I'm out. Dude, I'm done. Like, I love Jesus, but, like, like, when I read that story, Jesus is really good at being Jesus. I'm simple man. If you start beating my back with a cat of nine, I'm, like, I want to say that my relationship with Jesus is so strong that I would do anything for him. But I also know I got limits. I hope they're not as simple as they are in my mind because at the end of the day, I, I would like to be able to withstand pain and choose Jesus over pain. But like when you start describing things like that, it just leaves me in a spirit of misunderstanding. And so can I give you what I believe? And I want to preface that. What I believe those three things are referring to in a biblical context. I believe when he talks about discipleship, understanding this story, understanding this, what he's went through, he said all these people walk away. Then he's turned around and asked them, who does they say that he is? He has this confession. He says, on that, I will build my church. Then he has this rebuke because their mindset, Peter's, is off. Then he gives them this concept of what it means to be a disciple. I believe what he talks about is three simple things that I think fit us that most people misunderstand. The aspect of denying oneself, and I'm going to read what I have in my notes to make sure I don't mess this up, is a simple aspect of a deny to your self-will. I believe what Jesus is talking about is if you truly want to follow him and be a disciple, then you hit a point in your life where it's no longer what you want, but what he wants. I think about the garden right before he gets arrested and beaten. When he is in the garden and he's praying and, and drops of blood are coming from his brow and he makes this amazing comment. He says, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine. I believe that's what it means to deny self. It's hitting a point in your life where you say, Lord, this is really what I want. I mean, Lord, I want this. Lord, I mean, I want this, but not my will, but thine. Can I go back to the 17-year-old, 16-year-old at Victory Valley? I sat in the back of a sanctuary, had this major spirit going, I don't want to go to Africa. Lord, I, I, I'm not going. There's snakes that are faster than lightning. I'm not doing that. And then I said, but Lord, not my will, but thine. I will deny myself and everything that I think I want, and I will choose everything you want over my wants. 
I understand that you know my needs better than I know my needs. So if I'll pursue your wants more than my own desires, you'll meet my needs greater than what I thought I had. And he's like, okay, that's part of being a disciple. And then he says, take up your cross. And this is the one that everybody kind of misconstrues and just really gets out of whack. Can I give you a very simple way to explain it? You choose God's will in your life no matter the cost. It's not that he's determined that you're going to be beat, that you're going to be crucified, that you're going to be hung on a tree. It's the fact that he wants you to say, listen, Lord, I will follow you no matter the cost. I'm willing to say no to things that I normally would say yes to in order to say yes to the things I normally would say no to. And I will do that with the understanding in my heart that I will count the cost and I will choose you over whatever the cost would be. It's not about beating. It's not about dying. It's not about being hurt. It's a mental understanding that, God, I will choose your will over mine and I will follow you no matter what. And then he ends with deny yourself, take up your cross, and then the one that everybody overlooks, follow me. See, here's the most amazing picture. Because he ends with a choice. See, to follow something means that you've got to choose to go where they're going. You've got to choose to step behind them and allow them to guide you and lead you. And what he's letting you know is that, you know what? I'm not going to force you. One of the misunderstandings in God's word, this whole thing's rigged. God's already determined everything. No, he hasn't. God knows everything, and he's God in the fact that he can know everything but still give you the ability to choose what you feel like God's calling you to do. You know how I know this? Because if God was completely, I want to be careful the way I word this, but if God had this whole thing rigged, we go back to that scripture, and he loves you, he loves everybody, he says, I don't want anybody to be condemned, but all may be saved. If God rigged the game, nobody would go to hell because he wants everybody to know him. Well, Mickey, why do some people go to hell? Because of sin and their choice to not accept him. Not because of God's choice, because he wants them. And so because of that, when it comes to follow me, you know what he's saying? To be a disciple, it's gonna come down to your choice. And then I have one of my favorite verses. It follows it up, and he kind of ends with a question. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Which, that's one of those you're like, excuse me, what? He says, whoever loses his life will find it, but, but whoever saves his life, well, you're going to lose it. And that's one of those like, like what? Excuse me? And he's trying to let you understand that if you want to be in charge of your own life, you can do that. But realize in process of being in charge of your own life, you're going to lose it. Why? Because you weren't the giver of life. You weren't meant to be the Lord of your life. You were not designed to be the keeper of your life. And can I chase a rabbit real quick? And you weren't designed to be the keeper of somebody else's life either. You know what the most problems in the church is today? We got too many people that think they're the salvation for other people rather than they're the messenger of the person that's the salvation for everybody. 
we meddle, we get in the middle of stuff. Not me, I never meddle in anything, but we get in the middle of stuff and we start telling people what they should do or not do. We start thinking that I've got this, I mean, I, I got an amazing ability. Pastor, you don't understand, I'm a fixer. Like I can fix anything. You can't fix this. In fact, your sin is the reason why he went to a cross. Not only can you not fix it, if it's up to you, you make it worse. So therefore, you got to deny yourself and you got to take up his cross, no matter the cost, and you got to follow him. And you got to understand that as long as you keep trying to keep your life, you know what? You're going to lose it. You're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to go, man, that thing flew by and this is not really what I thought it would be. You know why? Because you got too much control. But if you will allow yourself to, to lose your life for his sake and allow him to be in control, you get to the ego. Well, I, I, I don't even know how I got here. Like, this is crazy. Like, if I was to tell you the way that I met my amazing Amy Lou, it's like, what? And all of a sudden, the way different things happen, you'd be like, golly. And all of a sudden, things that happen in our life with our, it's like, wow. And then church and I could not, I'm not, I'm not that creative to write a story to get me to this point today, 30 years ago. And that's the reason why I can't be in control of it. And then he makes this question, and I'm done. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, it's, it's one of those rhetorical questions. He's not really wanting you to answer. He's trying to give you a perception or a perspective. What he's saying is, okay, whatever you're after that you think is going to be so profitable for you, you better make sure it's worth it. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.